3: Buddy, Nice to see you there. I'm Ray Harkins, and you've joined the 100 Words or Less podcast family by deciding to download and listen to this episode. I bet you didn't think you were going to do that, but yes, now I know you. I've tracked your IP. No, I'm just kidding, but thank you for listening. And uh, the guest this week is Mr. Sam Means. He used to play in a band called The Format, and he also does his own solo project, self-titled Titular by His Name, so Sam Means. And uh, he also does an amazing, amazing merch company called Hello Merch. And then he also does a brand off of that called Hello. And basically, he's just a very well-rounded individual. He's got a family, got that thing going on. And it's, uh, it's a very compelling story because... You know, sometimes I always get worried, and even if it's just, even though I don't know these people, but I get worried when people have dedicated their lives to a creative art. Sometimes it's hard to kind of make those transition points into different things, a regular life, a nine to five job, or whatever. And sometimes people flounder. And I love it when people are able to take that creative energy that they had in the band and creating music and be able to apply it to different areas of their life. It's just, it's awesome stuff. So. That is our guest this week. And, uh, you know, let's get some business stuff out of the way, right? And I promise it's not heavy business. It's a nice, light, fun business. So check out the show, 100WordsPodcast.com, the website. You'll be able to listen to past episodes. If this is your first one, thanks for checking it out. So we've got like uh, 190 some odd episodes that you could dive into. And I love I love it. I love it when people email the show, 100WordsPodcast at gmail.com, and uh, tell me some stuff. Tell me what episodes they've liked what other guests would be interesting for me to potentially speak to. So I love all those ideas. So keep them coming. I appreciate that. And please use the Amazon affiliate code in the show notes or on the website. Basically, all that does is give us a kickback. You shop at Amazon, your prices stay the same. Nothing changes beyond the fact that we, the show, gets a kickback. So if you want to contribute that way by not donating any money whatsoever, Do that, and it will uh, help the show. I appreciate that. And plus, it'll uh, give my wife a reason to be like, okay, Ray's making a little money off this thing. I guess I'll I'll leave him alone. He can can be absent from our family for a few hours by doing this interview or whatever. So anyways, uh, yeah, without further ado, here is – you know what? I always say that. Without further ado, I'm trying to – get off some verbal crutches that i use but it's like it's so much it's so easy to transition into every single interview that way without further ado all right how about this hey let's talk to sam how about that does that sound okay all right well we'll try other things on for size but here's sam and i'll talk to you after the show is over I want to say that I saw the format at... You guys played a bamboozle, didn't you? Like when it was in New Jersey, if I'm correct?
4: Yeah, we, I think we played a couple. Okay. And it may have... Yeah, maybe once when it was... Back when it was called Skate and Surf.
3: Right, that that's correct. Skate and Surf, that's what I meant then, to say. And then Yeah,
4: and then once... And then I think... Right, the next year, maybe the year after, when it was officially bamboozled. Actually, no, I don't even think we did. I think it was, yeah, I think it was always skate and surf when we played it.
3: Yeah, I think you're, you're totally right. That's because uh, yeah. it was at the uh, the Asbury Park where you know you you guys played. I just remember watching you. Uh, I I was there. I worked at a record label at the time, and I I went to see you guys, not for any sort of signing purposes because I worked at a metal record label, which clearly you guys would not be at home on. But you played like, it was like, it was such a weird vibe because it was like a little side theater sort of thing.
4: Yeah, Um, it's all kind of coming back to me now. I think we played right before Local H. Right. If I remember correctly. I I think you are. And like a really dingy, yeah, it was like a weird, dingy, like upstairs room at that.
3: the convention hall or whatever yeah
4: yeah, yeah. it was weird I mean, it was, you know what, maybe i'm confusing that with the the worcester oh the palladium the palladium yeah that because there, there was another thing that was there right i don't know it's all merging together maybe that's where we met local age i'm not sure but yeah it was definitely weird and dingy weird vibe yeah these things always kind of were
3: <laughs> totally especially when you're when you're not playing at a festival like that when you're not playing the, the main stage It's kind of like where else can we put this stuff How about, how about, yeah, it how about over so, here
4: Oh those guys yeah just throw them over there
3: But I remember being um, imp- I, I remember being impressed Not only was I familiar with your music So I, it wasn't unintentionally that I saw you But it was uh, you, you guys were, were dialed in um, And it, it seemed to me um, Because I mean at that time You hadn't released a full length I think you had just released your your EP um, it, I don't know. I, I just always am impressed when a, a band kind of has that sort of like, hey, take us seriously vibe. And not like you were being like overly earnest about it or anything like that. But Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it seemed that, the, like I said, there was a serious tone to what you guys were doing and what you were uh, trying to impress upon people. Was that always kind of the uh, the goal from uh, the get-go? Or was it just that that was basically the mode you went in when you went on tour?
4: Yeah. I mean, we really, you know, we liked playing. We Nate and I had been in bands together um for i don't know i can't remember exactly what year that was but definitely for a few years you know we met in high school and so we had played a lot and we knew the importance of just ha- trying to have a really tight band and so when the format started and it was it was a two piece you know we started trying to figure out it was kind of like working backwards a little bit you know we had it was just the two of us and we had these songs and we had even up until the point where we, we didn't even have a band yet really until after we made the first album. So the first full length. Um, so yeah, we kind of had to work backwards and like find a band right. that felt like, you know, these are our, these are people that we can really vibe with. And not, we didn't want it to ever feel stale. Like we always just, you know, obviously you want it to feel tight and, and, um and be exciting, but it was also really important to us that we in, in our situation, since it was kind of unique, maybe it's not so much, anymore but at the time it was kind of weird it's like oh you guys are just two like dudes and you don't even have a band that's weird right
5: um
4: so so yeah i don't it, i think it was important and then especially after the you know later on as the album came out the first album interventions lullabies and we and our label disappeared um electric records just kind of crashed into the ground we kind of stepped it up even more you know it's like okay well all we have is touring. We have to just give it everything we have. We have to go out there as much as we can. And we have to just try to be good. Cause this is really, it's really what we have to really all we have to offer, right. you know, it's like making this music and like no one else is going to, no one else is going to get this out there. So we have to do it.
3: Right. Right. We, we've got no support. So yeah, there's, to speak.
4: yeah. There's no support. I mean, luckily we have support, luckily with like, you know, we got a great booking agent who's getting us on tours. Let's, let's um, not take that for granted and do everything we can to make sure that that opportunity is, um, is being executed properly.
3: Right. Yeah. The the only thing that we have to go on is obviously our music, which, uh, you know, uh, I know that sounds so uh, uh, simple and elementary, but it's like, well, that, that when you, when you peel all the business away, that's kind of all anybody has to stand on.
4: Yeah. I mean, that should always be the basic fundamental of being in a band. You know, that shouldn't be a shocking thing to say like, well, all we had was the music, you know, right. but <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, there's a lot more to it, you know, like, yeah. especially these days, like you really got to get out there and do a bunch of stuff. So, sure. um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was very, um, it was definitely something that we were very aware of and wanted to we're constantly striving to get better.
3: Right. I mean, I think that's interesting because the, uh, th- the notion is that, um, you know, like you mentioned, obviously you'd played um, together with Nate for a long time, but you know, you, and you had been uh, in different bands and iterations of that. Cause you do. Um, I think there is something when you, after you've experienced those, those local band vibes and you start to be like, Hey, like, some people are paying attention to us. We need to take this more seriously than kind of like us sticking around in front of 40 people, like that kind of like who we are. Like we we need to put our best foot forward.
4: Yeah. we, we were always from the start, we had pretty, um, you know, I think the, the, the guy that we recorded our first EP with, and we had done stuff with before and some of the other bands, the way that we would talk about it, you know, we never, not like we didn't like enjoy being part of a local scene, but we always just had, this desire to be more you know we wanted to be professional musicians and that's that's ultimately how the format ended up starting was just the group of people that we were with didn't really have that vision they just like to play and there's nothing wrong with that but we were just like no we don't just want to play like we want to be a band like we want to go out on the road we want to get signed we want to do you want to do it we, we want to do it for real right and so you know i think when we you know when we did our first ep and we had the song called the first single
5: mm-hmm.
4: that, that was our attitude. Right. Like,
3: <laughs> right, You're Like there's no,
4: <laughs> like this is going to happen.
3: Right. There's you no, and, there's no pretension about this. This is, this is manifest destiny.
4: <laughs> yeah. And I just remember the producer being like, you guys are nuts. <laughs> like, and he, he refused to call it that. And he would, when he'd write on a little CDRs for mixes, he would call it uh, delusions of grandeur. That's
2: amazing. That,
4: that was the thing. And then, and then, um, you know, whatever, screw him. It worked.
3: Right. No, I I like, I like that attitude because I, I definitely think that there's, there's an absolute difference between like being cold and calculating in regards to the approach of your band. Like, you know, you look at um, a band that starts solely to whatever, make money, you know, and
4: it's pretty apparent.
3: Like you're able to see a Yeah, but
4: it's not, and, and I think that that's where he was, I think that's. What do you, you know, maybe you how he was taking it, you right. know, which was, couldn't have been further from the truth, which is why we were sort of like, dude, you just don't get it. Right. Like we don't want to be rich rock stars. Like we've never wanted to be that, you know, we just wanted to, we just wanted to make music full time. Right. Like that was our thing. It's like, we didn't want to work. I didn't want to work at a venue anymore. Like being the door guy at goth night at two in the morning. Right. And you know, Nate didn't want to work at his mom's law firm, you know, getting lunch for people. So
5: right.
4: that was the goal. It wasn't like we were, these cocky, arrogant dudes setting out to take over the world. We just wanted to, we just wanted to do our thing.
3: Right. And that's the, and that's the distinct difference. Um, I did notice too, where it's like the, uh, um, I, I I have a lot of experience within the context of, of your scene. Like, do you ever remember that band? They're from Arizona yeah okay so i i signed that band to a label that i worked at and um not only because of them but just like uh i always i played in punk and hardcore bands and we always went out to arizona and played shows there um you know played at the nile and all that stuff but
4: oh yeah i was what, always what band were you in uh,
3: i was in a band called taken we were kind of like melodic hardcore stuff like 97 till about 2004 or so
4: yeah i think I, i'm sure i worked the door at one of your shows i would not be surprised we
3: <laughs> the um yeah if you were working at a venue you yeah i, we, I was we, yeah definitely yeah. Was. (laughs) Totally. Um, But I I was just always impressed because it seemed that even though Arizona was, um, you know, just this random mishmash of suburbs, that you guys always had a scene. I mean, and obviously I will cite Jimmy World as being the purveyors of celebrating your scene where it was always like, you know, they would always take Ruben's accomplice on tour. And like, I just always felt this really, I guess, familial vibe of your guys' scenes. Um, was, is that an accurate reflection or is that just something that I'm kind of uh, <laughs> over no, in this yeah, self? yeah, no,
4: it's, it's true. I, I would say we had a good scene that was split between, it was split into two groups. You know, there was, or, you know, or actually I would say three, there were like the bar bands you know, like the especially around that time, like late '90s, um, there was a pretty heavy like new metal ish. Oh yeah. Thing going down with like bands like Bionic Jive. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but you can imagine what they, what they were like. Uh, so you know, there were a lot. There's a lot of bars in Phoenix and Tempe and Mesa. So there was, you know, there was that whole thing that we definitely weren't a part of. And then there was like the the Nile kind of more of the punk pop punk thing going on. And that's what we fell into, you know, cause there was, there were, there were some really great clubs like the Nile and, uh, 10 people where, you know, like we'd see Jimmy world all the time. It was just a bowling alley and bands would set up in the corner mm-hmm. and just play on weekends. And it was, it was awesome. And then there was like the, the indie rock, like Ubin, Ubin, Ubin's wow. Uh, Ruben's accomplice and and those kinds of bands. And so it was a good scene, but it was, it was a little, it was a little divided, which I'm sure it's like that everywhere. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was solid. I mean, everyone still managed to more or less, um, you know, work together. I mean, no one was really afraid to jump on bills with other people, you know. And everyone kind of just jumped around from club to club. I mean, there were the places that you didn't really want to play, but we would still do it, you know, just to try it. Right. Every everyone was kind of just playing wherever they could get at that point. So I think it was good. There were some good promoters and good clubs, and it was was a pretty healthy place to be in a band and. Especially like late '90s, early 2000s, there was a lot of music going on.
3: Sure, and you can't. You, you, I would be remiss to not uh, not mention Modified Arts as well. That was also. A sp- oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so you were you born and raised in Arizona, or where did you come up?
4: Yeah, I was born. I was born in um, in Glendale, Arizona. I grew up there, the west side of town.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, lived there until I was, you know, basically until I had a car and got kicked out of the house, and then I by that point i'd been going to shows and working at the venue and so i headed to the east side over there and lived there for a while and now i'm in downtown phoenix so i've been here my whole life never never really gotten out besides touring
3: sure sure and i I pursued the uh but obviously you don't uh, strike me as there are people that are um, what I would call desert folk, you know, where it's like they get kind of locked into the, uh, the mentality of being um, just in their city and not having any sort of context outside of it. Clearly you're not that sort of person.
4: Um, But yeah,
3: I presume you, you, you do have a sense of like, nah, like Phoenix is the place, man. It's pretty rad here.
4: I, I've, I've very much embraced central Phoenix. Um, there's a lot of stuff about Arizona that's not very desirable. Uh you know, down to like politics and some culture
5: mm-hmm.
4: and stuff that I you know, it, again, just like everywhere probably, but just some stuff you don't really want to embrace. So you you can get kind of stuck in this thing like, "Oh, you're from Arizona," like your your sheriff is a racist and you know, <laughs> totally. that kind of stuff. It's like, "Okay, cool. Well, I don't have any affiliation with that dude. Like don't judge me just because I live in Phoenix, you know, that's not really fair.
3: Right. You hear, you hear, you hear a news story and then, uh, you can malign everybody that lives in that area.
4: Yeah. But I mean, central Phoenix has always been really cool. You know, it's a very, it's a, it's the best, most middle place you can be. You know, everyone, there's uh, all kinds of people around you and, and everyone is really cool and everyone gets along and it's a good place. Whereas like if you start venturing out a little bit, like it can get a little hairy and you don't really, you know, that's where all, you know, you start dealing with like, everyone's talking about guns and <laughs> sure. like, that's the whole, that's that whole vibe. And, um, so that's not really my scene. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's, it's a good place and I, I, I'm proud to live here. I'm proud to say I'm from here. I yeah. do love it. I have a lot of pride for living in Arizona, but just like anywhere else, you know, it has its moments.
3: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You You have your pros and cons everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I have to ask because you, you mentioned it, you, you kicked out of your house. It sounds like there was, um, there was some strife between the uh, parental units and yourself as you were kind of growing up and developing your identity. Is that, uh, is that true? Or was it just the case of you wanting to kind of get out under their thumb?
4: Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true a little bit. I mean, it's just, you know, normal teenage angst. Um, I actually was just having reliving this conversation with my parents <laughs> a couple months ago, and we were both seeing it very differently. How it,
5: oh, I could imagine how it all
4: went down. Um, some selective memory, probably on both on both sides. But, but yeah, there was there was a moment where my mom was just like, "You got to get out of here," and um, I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and I had a, I had an old van that I had bought from my uncle that uh-huh. uh, our band was supposed to be touring in, and didn't really work very well. So I literally just like threw all my stuff in it and. Then started driving, and I was like, uh, "I don't know where to go. <laughs> I'm Not really sure where to go." So I ended up. It was. It was just this ridiculous, you know, teenage story of like I was sort of living out of a van for a while
5: mm-hmm.
4: when I was, you know, seventeen or eighteen or whatever, however old I was.
3: Had you graduated? Um, had you graduated high school yet?
4: Yeah, I was actually. I didn't go. I didn't go to uh, high school. I was homeschooled, which, oh. kind of, which was pretty unique then. But it seems to be more of a a thing now. But Right. But yeah, in like, see, second or third grade, my mom pulled me out of school. I still don't really know why. I guess I should, could probably ask her.
5: Right.
4: But she pulled me out of school, um, and I just did everything. I would just go get the, um, you know, she'd go get all the books and stuff from the district that uh-huh. I was living in, and so I was doing the same stuff that all the kids were. And I, I had a lot of good friends still to this day. That that's that's how I met everybody. It was really just. The same. The friends I ended up having were the same friends I would have had anyway, because they all went to that school. So we all hung out together, and I would just, you know, they'd go to lunch in high school, and I'd go meet them where everyone was going. So it was almost as if I was going. I was just skipping the classes.
3: Right. You were. You were getting. uh, (laughs) You you were able to reap the benefits of the uh, the social structure, but yeah,
4: I was. Yeah, I was part of the peer group, but I just (laughs) I was the lucky one that didn't have to actually go to school. So right. Were yeah.
3: Were your did you do you have brothers and sisters?
4: Yeah, I have two sisters. Um, one is quite a bit older than me. She's thirteen years older than me, so okay. she was already, you know, married and out of the house by the time I was ten or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a younger sister. She's five years younger than me. She, she was, she was homeschooled, I think, until like high school, and then she started doing some, uh, you know, some community college classes, and she ended up being a nurse. So she went to ASU and did that whole thing.
3: Got it. And so what, what did your parents do, uh, for a living? Like how, how would they, uh, obviously provide, uh, the food on the table, so to speak?
4: Uh, my dad owned a pest control company, which is pretty great in Arizona. We got a lot of bugs. You do. Yeah. Yeah. So he moved out here. They moved out here from California uh, in the seventies Okay, and, uh, he started a pest control company and it, it got pretty big and he ended up selling it when I was, when I was in quote unquote high school.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And, uh, but he also still had like a, you know, you have to be certified to do that. Sure. It's just like any trade. So he, he had like a, he still does actually. It's like a school. Oh, um, okay. That makes sense. So a school for the training, it's really, I guess, just training, you know, the training for the tests that you have to take and,
5: mm-hmm.
4: and to be, and you have to, if you're certified, you have to take these tests every year and get a certain amount of credits to make sure your everything's still up to date. So he does all that stuff still. So after he sold the pest control company, he, he continued to do that and nice. still does today. So that was his, that was his deal.
5: And
3: your mom basically obviously took care. of You guys taught you uh, basically. Yeah. Yeah. She
4: you. was, she was at home and, uh, but now she, it's funny, like in the last, I guess six years or so, five or six years, she started working with my dad. So now she, she works kind of full time with him. Oh, nice. Doing that stuff. But yeah, she was always just at home.
3: Sure. Well, yeah, if she's home uh, homeschooling, yeah, she, yeah. Uh, she's, she's got to get, get, get you, get you educated. Yep. Um, and so the, uh, do you reflect on the homeschooling as being like a positive experience or do you think that kind of contributed to the, the, the strife that you maybe had with your parents because you were spending so much time with them?
4: Maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was a little bit of that. I mean, I think looking back, I really do think it was probably just the same stuff everyone goes through, you know, like I was, I was a really good kid, you know, like I never did drugs and I was I wasn't getting in any trouble.
3: Yeah, I was going to say just, if, if you, I was going to ask if you were like you know h- how you were acting out or if it was just the like you said. No, it,
4: it was. It was actually pretty boring. It was just that like I had, and this is what we were talking about, and and I was trying to prove a point. A couple, you know, whenever we were talking talking about this with my parents, I was just saying, you know, at that point in life, I had a goal that even then, you know, I knew I had friends around me getting jobs at telemarketing places and at the mall and that kind of stuff, and I was just like, I'm not. I'm not, and everyone liked music. So we were all in bands and no one could really do anything because they had these jobs. And I was just like, I can't, I don't want to do that. It's not that I don't want to work. I just don't want to get sucked into that, that life, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so I was just kept telling them like, I'm holding out, you know, it's not that I don't want to get a job. I just want to get a job that's in this field because this is what I want to do. Right. So, um, you know and it ended up working out <clears throat> working out for me because I got the job at the venue right and and that kind of sparked everything i mean that was the you know and then while still very much so being in bands and making music that whole time too so to me, that was like my my college my my um you know early job training for what I do now right like I learned a lot of stuff working at that venue and then I ended up opening up mm-hmm. starting a concert promotion company a couple of years in with, with two of the friends that I worked with because we were just sick of the dude that was running the venue.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: He was just kind of a sketchy guy. So we're like, we're going to start a concert promotion company. We're going to be the honest guys here because this is ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. so it was that kind of thing. It was just the angst was like, I'm not going to go work at um, you know, Bed, Bath & Beyond. <laughs> I'm going to go get a job somewhere that's in this field because I know this is where I want to be for the rest of my life. Yeah, and it it sounds kind of pleasant, but back then it wasn't. It was just like, well, you have to get a job, so have fun with that.
3: (laughs) Well, especially coming from um, the mentality that I'm sure your parents had, because the uh, I think it's definitely emblematic of uh, the generational divide, where it's like, you know. The I mean, granted, what you were doing now from a uh, not only musical perspective, but, um, you know, from Hello Merch where it's like that's, you know, that's a that's a trade in essence. Yeah. Um, so it's like <laughs> when you go to your parents they are like, yeah, I want to do this like weird music thing. They're just like, but you don't do anything. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand like what that actually <clears throat> means. And I think that's where the that's where the, 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 the friction comes from. Anytime yes. you're pursuing something creative.
4: Yeah, and my parent, and, and to be totally fair, like, you know, especially, I mean, I would say both my parents, but especially my dad, like, I can very, very distinctly remember as a kid, my dad saying, like, you can do whatever you want, like, you don't, you know, I'm not going to try to get you to get into pest control, you don't have to go to college if you don't want to, like, I would like you to, but, you know, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm going to love you, you know, just as much, like, you, you figure out what you want to do. But at that time, as a teenager, when you know you start growing up, it's a parent's responsibility to make sure that you're gonna be a responsible adult and you have to, you know, you have to learn these things when you grow up. It is very important to get those basic like life fundamentals instilled in you, like you, you know, and work ethic and all that stuff. And you, you have to you have to be able to take care of yourself. So I think it was just a little bit of both and it's a struggle, and especially now being a parent myself, I've thought about how I'm gonna handle that too because you know you don't you don't want to be too lenient with your kids and be like the cool parent all the time because that can also be pretty detrimental sure to their future so i don't you know i don't blame them for anything at all i mean i think what they did was totally fine um i just i had a plan and it was maybe sort of ludicrous you know from their perspective and even from mine cuz it is kind of rare to just say like well this is what i want to do and i'm i'm going to do it you know, no matter what, because that maybe is a bit of a dream,
5: mm-hmm.
4: in some sense. You know, it's not the easiest business to get get into and be able to survive. So, um, I think it was. You know, everything that went down, it was. I don't. There's no hard feelings or anything. Like everything, right. it, yeah. it all makes sense. I sure. just got really lucky and it worked. You know, I had a plan and it worked. Well, but I, it's I, very I, possible that it couldn't have also.
3: Sure, sure. I, I think the difference. Between a lot of that, because I'm sure you've ha- you have had friends that had the same sort of desires as you did, but I, I think it all comes down to the execution. And I don't mean execution as far as, like, being really successful, but just, like, the sheer planning and effort that it takes to start to move stuff forward, especially from a band where it's like, okay, we got to record a demo, we got to get a show, we got to make a shirt, like, all those yeah. things, like, once people... Realize the barriers that are in front of them. That that's when you see you know some of your peers fall away, whereas you would be like, well, no, it's fine. It's what I got to do, you know.
4: Well, yeah, yeah. A lot of it is timing, you know. And I say this all the time, you know. A lot, you know, people will ask, like, what do I, what do I do? How do I, how do I do this? Right. And you know, all you can really say is, well, you just have to do it. You know, you have to, you really just have to go for it, and you have to be prepared because I, I really truly feel like everybody is presented with these, you know let's pretend you could see them and your, your life was a set of roads in front of you. Everyone has these opportunities to take a path. Um, and they don't always take them. You know, I've probably had a bunch too that I just, I just missed, you know, that could have sent me into the, to the stars. Like, who knows? You know, like you just never really know. Um, but you, but that's the other thing that comes along with, it's not just luck and it's not just timing. You also have to be able to take a little bit of risk every once in a while. And I think that's what sets a lot of people apart. Some people just like, you know, taking the safe road. And I think maybe that's what happened with, you know, a lot of my friends and it happens with a lot of people. They just want to go get a job and be secure. And that's, I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing, you know, but for me, it's always been like, well, I want to be, I kind of enjoy the fact that I never really know what's around the corner. You know, I don't, I, I can't, I'm not a good settler. I have to always be kind of cooking up something. So you have to also be able to just, when something is presented, be a risk taker to some degree to say like, I don't know if this is going to work out, but I'm going to take it and see where it goes. And right. if it, and you have to be aware, like, you know, if this doesn't work out, then I'm just going to go back to where I was and, st- and wait for the next one. Sure.
3: You got to, you got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable.
4: Exactly. <laughs> right. it's, and it's not, it's not an easy thing to do, but I, I love it.
3: Yeah, that's cool. Um and so then as as you started to like you like you said, kind of, you know, put together your, your first bands and stuff like that, um, you know, what what were you attempting to, to accomplish like sonically with your first couple of bands? Were you doing the sort of, you know, uh by the numbers uh pop punk, were you doing uh you know, punk and hardcore? Like what uh, avenues were you starting to explore?
4: Yeah, the f- the first band was called Never Gonna Score, which is That's pretty awesome. good. It's pretty which good. Is, I like that. Yeah, I mean you can probably guess what that was like, so I can. You could
3: you probably could have been signed to Drive Through Records at some point.
4: That that was the plan in that band. <laughs> I that love was, it. We you know, we went out, we met with Richard and Stephanie multiple times. We were we wanted to be on Drive Through. That was all the rage at that point.
5: Yeah.
4: And I kind of fell into that band. It was Nate had started it with a couple other friends in school um, right before I met him, you know, like weeks before I before I first met him. And and uh, I was just like, "Oh, you guys are in a band?" Like, "Yeah, you want to be in it?" <laughs> Like okay, sure. they had they had one song and it was called Rent a Guy, and it was just and I thought it was so cool because they recorded it and I had never I didn't even know what that was. Right? Was like, <laughs> like, how'd, how'd you do you, that? <laughs> like how'd you guys record a song? That's crazy. Totally. You know. So um, I joined it just because I was so excited that they had music that you could listen to. You didn't you were just playing it, um, and so yeah, I kind of went from there. We did that for a little while and that we tried you know went through some couple band members and there was a guy that was sort of the ringleader in that band that um, he ended up quitting. He actually ended up quitting at Richard and Stephanie's house from Drive Through Records. Ooh, wow. We were sleeping on their floor, woke up one morning. He was just like, dude, this is like not this is weird. Like, it's not cool. I don't I don't like this plan. I'm out of here. And so we broke that. You know, when he left, we were just like, OK, we don't really want to be this band. Anymore. Like, he's kind of right. <laughs> like This band is this isn't even the kind of music that we really are into. Like we can do better than this. So we started everyone else in that band um, just kept going, but we just changed the name and we started getting a little bit more into that's when we started getting more into like Jimmy world and the get up kids. And
5: Mm -hmm.
4: you know, those kinds of like post punk pop punk kind of bands where it's like, it's melodic, but the guitar is still have distortion and, but they're, there's some bells and pianos on this on these songs. That's kind of cool.
3: Yeah. There's more texture to it.
4: Yeah. It's like a little bit more of the the other stuff that we like, which, you know, we, besides liking, you know, punk music, like we also really like the Beatles and mm-hmm. Cat Stevens and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, Oh wow. You can kind of, you're just like learning like, Oh, you can mix these two <laughs> things, these worlds. And then this is an option. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, I'm glad they did. Right. Um, so yeah, we moved into that and then, everyone else in that band just had other stuff going on. Like people started going to college and people started dropping out, you know, for various reasons. And Nate and I just started, we would just go to this park at night and like hop the fence and just sit in the grass and write these songs.
3: And, um, that sounds adorable. Yeah, it was pretty cute. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> so, sounds very, it, yeah, very, very hippie esque. Like, dude, let's yeah, go to the park and jam with some songs, bro. It
4: was, but it, it, it seems, yeah, it seems like we were trying to be, you know, create this vibe. But it was really like we didn't have anywhere else to go, right? Like,
3: <laughs> were you going to go to my van, or yeah, we-? we just
4: going to go somewhere where we can, we where we can't be bothered, and we're not, or we're not going to bother anybody else. Sure, um, sure. So we started writing. We ended up writing a lot of songs together in that band. Well, not a lot, but you know enough to do an EP. Mm. So we went and recorded this EP, and then right after it came out, um, it was something happened, and like there was some falling out, kind of even between Nate and I. I can't remember exactly what it was, but the band just nobody, it just wasn't working. Right. Um,
3: Did you formally put anything out under that, or did you have a moniker for it?
4: Yeah, the band was called This Past Year, and we put out. And it's funny because I was just like five minutes before we jumped on this, this guy on Twitter was like, this is the best purchase I ever made. And it was the homemade CDR of that band that we released at a show. We made 50 of them. It was numbered one to 50. Of course. And he had like number 19. And I was like, Whoa, I haven't seen one of those. And yeah. So that was it. We put out 50 CDs nice. at, at one show. And that was, that was all there ever was. So that band broke up and everyone kind of went their separate ways. But Nate had the song that I did in my living room, I recorded on a four track and you know, we hadn't talked for a couple months and I didn't know what to do. So I, I set up some studio time. I just had this idea. Like, I don't really know what I'm going to do here, but I know that I want to keep making music. So I booked some studio time and I started writing some songs and then I got a phone call from Nate a couple months later and he was like, Hey dude, I have this song. Like I know we haven't really talked, but uh, someone left a CD in my car and I've been listening to it and I wrote some some lyrics over it and I think we should go record it. And I was like, Okay, well I have studio time booked. Why don't you just come down, you know, on Thursday and we'll we'll try it out. Mm-hmm. And that was uh that song was the first single. That's so funny. And that's how the format started. We just we did that and then we wrote a couple more kind of, you know, in a matter of days. And then we, we had five songs and we recorded that first EP.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, not, not, not to skip too far back, but like, what was your, uh, what was your kind of entry point to uh, more independent music in general? Like, or did you kind of come in through the whole, um, you know, I, I'm guessing because like we're roughly around the same age, um, you know, with the whole sort of like no effects green day offspring stuff, or was there a different trajectory for you that you uh, kind of got piped into?
4: Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, it started with, 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 Weezer, strangely enough. Mm, but yeah, yeah. I got I got into Weezer when they first came out. I'm like, what is this band? This is crazy. So I I loved Weezer and then I started, you know, obsessively branching out to bands related to them. So then it was like Weezer and That Dog and Um Chopper One. Right. And you know, Teenage Fan Club and whatever bands were related. Osma. Right. The Rentals and Ozma. Yeah, <laughs> those those kinds of bands. And then and then I start, you know, obviously at that time watching Alternative Nation and 120 Minutes on MTV and seeing Green Day and The Offspring. And then I went and bought The Offspring's first record because I'm like, I don't want to listen to this new Offspring. But I heard that they're... Give me Ignition. <laughs> yeah, I heard, it, I, heard it, I heard Ignition's really great. And uh, so I still remember I was on a trip with my, with my mom and my aunt. And we were going to Canada to visit my aunt's grandma or something. And I was in South Dakota and two of my cousins were there and I was like, I'm going to buy this off. We were at a Kmart and I'm like, I'm going to buy this offspring CD. And they're like, yeah, you should buy that. It's great. Mm -hmm. So I bought the offspring CD and then we got to Canada and much music was on. We were just watching much music all the time back when it was just Canadian channel and no effects was being interviewed, uh, by somebody. And like, and they're like, Oh yeah, no effects is, they were like kind of, they knew the, the kind of, you know, the punk bands. So then I went and bought, some no effects CDs. And then, it you know, then it went into rancid and operation Ivy and all that stuff. So, I mean, that, that whole time, like all those bands were starting to get kind of in the mainstream anyway. Right. So I started, so then it, that led to, you know, going even further, like now I'm listening to all the lookout record. Then it started being about the labels. So I'd go, I just find the cool labels that release in the bands. So then I'd buy everything on lookout, like groovy ghoulies and, Sure, uh, you know, Screeching Weasel and fifteen, right, right. <laughs> All these bands. So it was that, and then you know, Asian Man Records and drive. Then it was Drive Through Records, and then it was um, Caroline or what? You know, whatever. Then so then it was just about going to the record store and looking for the record labels and just buying everything they had. You, you just, know, that's how it started. Then I started going to shows, and it was just a snowball from there.
3: I just like I I like the way that you put that because um it, it does become. Uh, you, you become obsessed and you you get these weird notions cuz you know i mean a lot of our, our, our friends like they w- you you watch them kind of like where their limit ends where they're just like yeah like I, i'm cool like i don't need any more but then there's people like you and i who are just like no like, there's there's a never ending well here you can keep searching and searching yeah, and finding yeah no that
4: more. was that was our favorite i mean there's a record store here called zia records and oh, yeah. there, it was a chain and we that's what we would do i mean we would go there so, I mean, multiple times a week, we'd go get Taco Bell. I was the first one who could drive. We'd go, everyone would jump in my car. We'd go get Taco Bell. We'd eat it in the parking lot. And then we would just go basically loiter right. and see your records. And we would just, you would walk down the aisle one by one and you would just go looking for something that would stick out, you know, the spine, like what's going to jump out at you today? Sure. And then you do that. And then you'd go back two days later and you'd find like, the Voodoo Glow Skulls or totally. something. I'm going to try this out. Because there was no other way to hear it. Mm-mm. Like, there wasn't the internet. So you really just, like, I'm going to buy this and see if I like it. And it's like, oh, who's this band? Bracket. Like, they look kind of cool. Sure, Buy this and see what's up. And,
3: how, know, about, then, how about Diesel Boy? Let's try this. Like,
4: sure. Yeah, any everything. So, you know, that's, you, you figure out what you like, you know, and you'd buy the, you know, I'd get, like, oh, fa- I've heard about face-to-face. Like, no, oh, I don't like face-to-face. But I like
5: mm-hmm. um,
4: Pulley. Like, Pulley's cool. It's kind of the same Right. Thing. It's just, you know, I was more about the melodic bands. So, you know, bands like Bracket were really great and bands like Face to Face, maybe not so much. It was like a little too, not that they weren't melodic, but I, I definitely had my thing. You know, sure. anybody that was doing anything interesting with melodies, that's really what stuck with
1: me the most. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp.
2: at purdueglobal.edu.
3: Pardon the interruption, but I would like to tell you about Harry's Razors because they are kind enough to help support this show. So it is their three-year anniversary, and that is incredible because what they've done is they've disrupted the razor industry. They are taking all of their focus and effort on you, the consumer, and trying to make the shaving experience easy and cheap because they will give you Three expertly crafted five blade German razors, a handle, and shave cream for just $10 with the offer code 100Words. So that's the number 100Words. So I've been in the shave game for a while, even though I was dumb and I didn't know how to shave until I was about 25 years old. Harry's is an incredibly close shave. The biggest thing for me is quickness because I've shaved with a safety razor for quite some time and Honestly, it's kind of a 10 to 15 minute process, maybe a little bit less. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little, but Harry's dude, I'm in and out going against the grain, going with the grain. It's incredible. It's like, it, it takes me less than three minutes to do a complete tight shave that makes my wife go, Hey, like you, you did a really good job today. I'm like, Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. So, and what makes Harry's special? Like I said, It's quality price so it's like factory direct prices they cut out the middlemen so they don't, you can't buy the stuff in stores and it ships right to your door so that's why they can sell it to you at half the price and over 1 million people have already made the switch and thousands more do every day so seriously why pay $32 for an 8 plaque of blades when you can get them for half the price at harrys.com the harrys starter set is an amazing deal and for just $15 you get a razor, shave cream and 3 razor blades
1: but I can give you $5 off that. It's crazy. Harry's doesn't do
3: sales, but the fact that they're doing this right now means you should jump on it. So $5 off your first order with promo code 100Words. Please stop overpaying for a great shave. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com
1: and enter the code 100Words at checkout. Growing up doesn't mean you need to outgrow heavy metal. And now for discerning metal heads everywhere, there's a podcast just for you. Metal Brainiac is the smartest half hour in heavy metal. There's no beer or bro talk, and we leave Satan at the door as we dive into serious conversations with top metal artists. We dig into the creative process and explore the challenges of expression when people can't make out the lyrics. I'm Matt pikin the host of Metal Brainiac, and you can find us every week on iTunes and wherever you find your favorite podcasts and also at metalbrainiac.com. I mean, and that's why those, the low
3: priced samplers of that era from, you know, 95 to like 2002, 2003 were so oh, crucial. Yeah. It was like, dude, yeah. you couldn't you, wait, I could buy this for $5 and it's 27 songs and I'm going to find 20 bands that I like on there.
4: Dude, I want to bring that back. But then I guess everybody already sort of does that with playlists now, but that was like so crucial. Those oh. compilations were just like a godsend. Because they're sitting,
3: yeah. They're sitting. They're sitting right there next to the register usually, and you're just like, "Oh, I got five bucks Sure.
4: It would, yeah. It would save you a lot of time and money because you may, maybe, you had been holding, you know, not so sure if you're going to pull the trigger on this. Sure. uh, this unwritten law CD right? <laughs> so, right. and then you hear him on the compilation you're like, Oh no, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't buy that one. I don't really like them.
3: <laughs> totally. You're like, I got, I got burned one too many times by, uh, you know, buying the donuts and glory CD or whatever, like just, <laughs> yeah. just the most random of stuff. And you're like, Oh, that's not good, but that's really good. So
4: yeah. 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 yeah that was, that was great.
3: The, um, And so then kind of, uh, you know, fast forwarding a little bit to the, uh, you know, once you started to receive, uh, attention from, uh, you know, record labels and you started to see that your show started to have more people as far as in regards to like the format and stuff. Um, was it, uh, was it easy for you to kind of get that attention or was it always kind of, uh, was it a learning process for you just because, um, you had been used to the sort of local show vibe? Um, or was it kind of like, Hey, this is rad because this is what I've been looking for.
4: It was cool. I mean, those bands, even though they were terrible, the ones that we were in before, they were they were still pretty decently sized local bands. So it was, you know, I think, and I I think I've probably said this before somewhere, but you know, I think by the time we got to the format, everyone just was like, "This is sort of refreshing because we like these guys," but the music was kind of stupid. But we were just sort of supporting them because we like them. So we had we had a pretty good following anyway in town. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, so what ended up happening was, you know, words started catching a little bit when we first started the format and it was sort of a whirlwind. So like right away, the shows were pretty big. I mean, I think we sold out our first show. It wow. wasn't like a huge place, but it was like the basement of the Nile. That's still, that's like 300 people. It's great. Yeah, it was still good. And then, you know, we sold out a modified show and it just all within, you know, a couple weeks of each other. And so that whole thing happened really fast. I mean, we got signed, you know, really super quick. Mm-hmm. And so it was a, it was a little strange, but, um, to be swept away into this major label thing and, you know, get a nice advance and like go, you know, all of a sudden we're recording in, in Capitol records studio where the beach boys were recording. We're with Josh Fries and he's doing drums for us. And we're like, what's going on? It's crazy. <laughs> right. But then, you know, you, so you get like lifted up super high but then you immediately fall down in your face because that's just all a facade like that's just that's just what money will get you you know it's like somebody kind of funding this idea of like going and making an album and you start getting these hopes of like oh this is great like i still remember thinking like just being so unaware of reality within that business because you just know what you've heard from third parties you know just thinking like man are we going to be like touring in planes and like all the stuff's going to be happening. It's going to be crazy. Right. You know, like, and that's, I mean like daydreaming stuff, obviously not like reality, but you just have this thought like, this is, this is my whole life is going to change forever because we just got signed to this label.
3: Yeah. It's at and, your, fi- uh, it's at your fingertips.
4: Yeah. Cause, cause you know, cause it is, I mean, that is a possibility. So it's not like that's too far out of the, out of the realm of possibility, but, but for a lot of people, it's not, I mean, tons of bands get signed to major labels every day you know and very few actually can take it to that level Mm -hmm. you know where they're like superstars to some degree um so you know yes like it it was weird because i but it was a facade because when we then we went out on the road after making the first record like we immediately went out on tour Uh and it was like a wb network sponsored like cheesy tour.
3: Oh, that's amazing. WB S- network.
4: So- yes. Yeah. So we're like, you know, we just made this album and we're like all excited and hyped up. And then we get on the road and we suddenly realize like, Oh, nobody knows who we are.
3: Right. We got a lot of work nationwide to do.
4: <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, we're, there's some video of us on YouTube somewhere that someone sent me a while back. And it's hilarious. Like we're playing at this college outside on the lawn, you know, like a little amphitheater kind of a thing. And there's like four people standing there, like one of them's maybe paying attention. There's like a drunk girl dancing over in the corner somewhere.
5: Sure.
4: And we're just playing and you know, it's like that was the reality. <laughs> like so you get yeah, you get you get these um you, you know, these notions in your head that everything's gonna be amazing, but that's not the, that's not the that's not the reality at all. Right. That's, don't, don't, that's when we immediately were like, Okay, we we got a lot of work to do here. Sure. And we knew it, but you know, you just get wrapped up in the idea that just because you get signed, like everything's going to change and that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There's, there's
3: a lot of hard work that like I always, at at the record labels that I I worked at, it was always one of those things where I, I tried to give them that speech where it's like, Hey, just because you get signed, this is where the hard work begins now. Like, you're not on easy street at this point, like where everybody else is going to do work for you. It's like, this is just, a this is just a partnership that we need to work on together. Now you just have more people to help you out along the way. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And we, and we knew that. And especially right. coming from like the, you know, I don't know, I guess the punk scene to, so, somewhat, um, you know, like we knew what we were getting into, but it's still, you can get wrapped up in that when it's When right. you're faced with it, when it's in front of your face, it's like, well, we know that, you know, Everyone's been singing about these, the, the music industry and selling out and all this stuff and the, how bad it is. You know, Jeff Ott's been singing about Green Day for the last <laughs> three years. It's terrible, like how he lost his friends and totally whatever. But so, you know, we ha- we had that sort of punk rock attitude of like, this is probably not going to work out. <laughs> but, but we got to try it, right? Let's try it. Why not? Like, whatever.
3: What was the, um, uh, because obviously, I mean, that that song did have some uh, permanence in regards to uh, not only because it's a really, really good song as far as the first single is concerned, um, but obviously you had some, you know, radio airplay and that sort of stuff. When were, because um, I'm sure there's there's maybe like one or two surreal moments as you were kind of uh, letting that, that chaos swirl around you, um, you know, is there anything in particular that sticks out uh, during that time where it was like, Holy shit, like this, people are really identifying with this song. And then, like, we have to play that last because otherwise people will leave and that sort of stuff.
4: Yeah, it was just, I mean, really early on it because that was the first song that we put out. Sure. And that was the first time that, and the internet had, you know, not that it had just come out, but it, I would say by that time, you know, it was starting to get more accessible on a greater scale. You know, like you could upload an MP3 somewhere at that point, you know, in 2002 and somebody could, could download it for 20 minutes and then listen to it. Um, so that, yeah, that was the first, that song was just being the first one that sort of got spread around the country, I think from the EP and started getting picked up on blogs, you know, music blogs started happening and that was, you know, there was a a website called the scout and, um, the first single was on there. And I think a lot of people heard it there. So
3: Oh, that's right. I remember, I remember that. My friend, uh, yeah. My friend Kevin did that site. Yeah, Kevin. Uh, Yeah, of
4: course. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, you know, that was the one thing, like we would go do these little shows and that was really the only song that anybody knew, you know, and people would sing along and they do the little clap clapping parts. And, (laughs) and so it just, yeah, it became that, it became that song, that song that you got to play last, even though it was never really even a proper single, never really had any national, Airplay, it just became like a tour favorite because. Oh, really? It was,
3: I, I, that's funny because that—that's totally not the impression. Like, I—I I don't know. That song just seemed to uh, uh, pierce it, the veil. But wow, okay, so that, yeah,
4: it seems like it did, but it—it it was just a thing. I think that's just how everybody discovered us was because of that song initially. Right, right. And it grew. You know, it's like the first group of people that knew who we were passed that around to enough friends who passed that around to enough friends right. that that became the identifier of our our band. You know, sure. so. That's interesting. So that, that's what happened, yeah. I mean, we didn't even do a video for it. We didn't do it, I mean, because our label literally, I mean... Right, fell apart around here. Our you, right? album came out in October of 2003, and the label was done, I think, by February of the next year. Right. And a lot, so lot nothing, of time. Yeah. nothing happened. It was, you know, fourth quarter. They're like, oh, well, we'll just wait. Like, go out on tour, we'll wait until until the, um, the first quarter to start working it after the holidays, and then they were done. Sure, that's October. crazy. So it was just, you know, nothing happened with that record. We didn't release a single um, on that record at all.
3: Right. It's weird. Yeah, I know it is. Um, and then kind of, you know, uh, focusing on the, uh, you know, your transition out of obviously like the format, once that started to, um, dissipate, um, was it one of those things where, because obviously since most people that play in bands, uh, attach an identity, like, you know, you're, you're, you're Sam from the format and like, that's how so many people know you. Was it difficult for you to kind of Um, I guess, transition out of that identity, so to speak, and kind of uh, figure out what you want to do after that? Or was it uh, just a matter of like, all right, well, now this is the next sort of step. How was that? uh, How was that transition?
4: It was kind of weird at first, because yeah, I did, I did have that. um, I did have that idea in my head for a long time, I would say even just until recently that I didn't want to, I didn't really want to milk that, you know, to get to do something else. Like, I didn't want to. I didn't. I didn't want to be like I'm. I didn't want to be I'm Sam from the format. But I realized, you know, pretty recently that well, that's who I am. <laughs> you know, like I I was in that band. That band's still. People are still aware of it. People still listen. There's new fans. There's still things. And so I think it's okay to say. You know, even even to use that as exposure for my new record that's out. I think is okay. You know, because that. How else is anybody gonna know who I am? <laughs> You know, sure. like that's, that's really the only thing I can tell people to get them to remember, you know, it's like I was in a band that broke up eight years ago. Right. You know, if I, someone could be like, Oh, the new Sam means album's out. And someone would go, who, right. But if someone said the new Sam means from the format, you know, he's a dude from the format has albums out. Then, you know, a couple of years are going to perk up and be like, Oh really? Cool.
3: Yeah. Oh, I, I remember him. Yeah. I remember that band. Yeah. yeah. So
4: I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that really. And, um, so yeah, but I mean, but for a long time, I I didn't want to associate myself with that just because I felt like it was, maybe it was wrong. You know, it's like, well, the band's done. I don't want to just keep, you know, hammering on that point.
3: Right. You and di- I, and di- dip it into that well constantly.
4: Yeah. yeah I don't want to just keep, keep saying that, you know, introducing myself to people is in the <laughs> format. Sure. I don't know if you remember, but I'm Sam from the format. Yeah. Okay, cool. So
0: <laughs> let uh, me refresh, let me refresh your memory. Yeah. So I'm I just... have a,
4: lar- I have a burrito and a large dark Pepper. Um, thanks. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't do that kind of stuff. But right. But it. I mean, it. It is. I mean, it's just. It's who you are. You know, it's part of my history, and it's something I still think of so fondly, and I'm so proud of it. So, I mean. Yeah. Who cares?
3: Sure. Not? No. I mean, it's, yeah. You can't be the people that, that sort of shed their, um, well, I'm trying to think where it's like, okay, I look at, um, you know, that band Sleigh Bells where it's like the, the, whatever, they're definitely not as cool as they once were, but it's like the guitarist used to play in that hardcore band Poison the Well. And it's like, he, you know, he mentioned it, people asked him about it, but there was definitely that sort of like, oh, that's what I did as a kid vibe. And it's like, you know, you don't have like Poison the Well is a really meaningful band to a lot of people. Like you don't have to sort of, be like, oh, because now I'm now in this world. I can't look about, look at that time and reflect upon it. Like exactly what you're doing, fun.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think of it as bigger picture. I mean, a lot of people just they don't want to, they don't want to keep harping on that on their past, you know. So they'll. I heard an interview the other day on a podcast with this dude, um, Mike Binder. He's a comedian. He was a comedian. Sure. He was like a stand-up comedian for years, and and then he started directing movies and writing writing movies and stuff. And he was pretty big on that. You know, that conversation was interesting to listen to because, you know, he's like, ah, you know, I don't want that. It's just so far. You know, that was 30 years ago. Like, um, so much more has happened to me. You know, like, we should be talking about my movies and not stand-up stuff, you know. But so but that kind of opened my eyes a little bit more even, and hearing that just being like, well, it's just kind of weird to me you know, because I don't know, like if, if someone's interesting and interested in any avenue of your life, it's just, it's a bigger, it's a bigger picture of who you are. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to like, um, you know, tuck something away just because you're working on something new. Like
3: you should be happy about it. Right. It's the
4: story of your life. You know, like (laughs) you, you want to, you want people, especially when you're trying to sell music and promote something, it's like,
5: Mm -hmm.
4: you know, if that's what somebody wants to talk about, like that's amazing that anybody wants to talk to you about anything.
0: <laughs> totally, you're like, <laughs> like, oh wait, you're, you're interested? Okay. Like the con,
4: yeah, the concept that anybody would want to talk to me for any reason whatsoever is fascinating to me. <laughs> totally. So if someone wants to talk about the format, or they want to talk about hello merch, or they want to talk about you know hello apparel or whatever, any of the stuff that I've done, I'm down to talk about whatever. Right. <laughs> at this point, because it's just, it's not talking about those things. It's talking about me. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my life, and that and that's. Right, it's flattering. That's all, there is, that's all there is to it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did want to hit on Hello Merch because uh, that...
6: a perfect home, sweet home.
5: Hello, yo,
4: you got a oh, got a call? It's Technical okay. difficulties. Somebody just somebody just called. I'm on my phone. Someone just called yes. me on my
3: phone. Yeah, no worries. Um, I was going to say, with uh, you know, hitting on hello merch. Um, obviously, it's a to me watching your trajectory, it's a very logical extension that you would be able to uh, want to offer these services because you yourself have come from that position of like, Oh, we've always worked with merch companies that are, you know, didn't know what they were doing or whatever. Um, Am I right in that kind of uh, trajectory for you to be like, Hey, this seems like a, you know, a a cool thing. And then obviously Mm -hmm. hello peril kind of, you know, uh, sprung out around that. Was that kind of the, the sort of germ of an idea?
4: Yeah, that was all very natural. I mean, we had a, the format had a really low scale merge company that was just, we were operating just for ourselves. Um, you know, probably for the last four years or so, the band made a little warehouse set up and we, you know, we were packing orders when we were off tour and we had a friend that was kind of holding down the fort while we were on tour. And so, you know, it, it was working out really well for us. We were doing good. And it was, it was a, it was a good outlet for us to have to, just kind of stay on the road, you know, just help pay the bills, especially when we were, when we weren't touring, we weren't making money. It was cool to be able to have a steady income stream from selling shirts in between. Um, so even then, I mean, I always wanted to make it more of a thing because we'd go out with these bands and they would be in similar situations that we were in prior where they weren't, you know, they weren't getting shirts and, or they were just terrible. They weren't what they wanted or they were, in this endless debt cycle with, with merge companies. And, uh, you know, I wanted to help. <laughs> so
3: yeah, you saw um, a need and you filled it.
4: Yeah. I saw a need, but at, at that time I just couldn't do it. I was just too busy. There's too much going on. And I didn't, I just felt like if I try to take on anything else here, um, I'm not going to be doing any good. You know, it's, there's very realistic possibility that we can end up, you know, hurting these bands just as much as anyone else is just cause we can't, give them the time that they're going to need sure. to do it. So yeah, I mean, when the band broke up and having that infrastructure in place, I just, I didn't have anything else to do. And I just thought like, well, this is the time to do it. This is, I already know how to do this. I want to do this. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. So I should at least just get this rolling, you know, cause it's, there's really, there was really no startup. It was just, it was already there. So it was really just about calling a few people and just being like, hey, I'm I'm doing this now. Do you want to?
3: Right. Let's take this seriously now. Let's yeah. try it. So right. it just,
4: you know, it kind of built very naturally on its own. I mean, for years, all the bands that came in were all just word of mouth. It just kept growing and growing and growing um, from one person to the next person to the next person. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a really cool thing. We work with a lot of cool bands and, and they're all, you know, we treat everybody like they should be treated, you right. know,
3: well, and, it feel, and from a, just from an outsider's perspective, it feels, um, it feels very, uh, organic and I, I know that's like an overused term, but, uh, it, it definitely as exactly what you're saying where it's like, it, it does seem like I could probably connect you to each of those bands or, uh, merch stores that you offer, um, to be like, oh yeah, I, I see why that happens because Sam knows Chase and like where like I, I see those those connections already. So it's like it does feel like like you said, just kind of essentially an extension of yourself.
4: Your... Yeah, it's all connected. It's all a big family tree. It's like gene- the genealogy of the bands you can trace back to to um, yeah the format in some way. Right. So yeah, it, it's it's cool. I mean, definitely, uh, I'm really happy to still be doing this. I'm glad that it's become what it is you know it's not like some huge major thing but sure but it's good i mean it's fun
3: how how weird is how weird is it with the um uh the with obviously the the hello apparel side of things because um you know i mean it's one of those things where um, I'm. I mean, I've I've purchased a, 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 a large amount of things from you, especially from my wife and my kid. Um, and they, uh, you know, it's like when I tell my wife, it's like, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's a Sam dude from the format. She's like, oh, like that. That's cool. But then obviously, there's people that are coming into it that you know could care less that you ever played in a band. Um, so yeah, like-
4: it's turned into it's turned into a whole different thing than. I mean, the whole. Th- it's funny how it even started. It was just you know, we, it was just kind of like how I started the merch thing, right? Just like, it was already there. I just wasn't doing it. You know, I just wasn't expanding upon it. And so that was the same thing with the clothing company. It was just like, we have the ability to create an online, uh, store. We have, we're printing stuff constantly. I'm designing stuff constantly. So why am I not doing this? Like, you know, I, I, there was one particular thing like I saw uh, my friend Joe, who does all the screen printing for us, he uh, he was printing like five thousand shirts for this for this order. This kid that just started a clothing company for a company called The Fancy. They had this like subscription box service, and I was just like, that kid sold five thousand shirts in like a second to these people. Like that's nuts. Like I I want to do that. So I, I I just made it my goal. I'm like I'm gonna email email all these people and just see what the deal is. Like you know. So I emailed the fancy, and I got in touch with somebody, and and I just had whipped up a few designs with hello on it. It was just like, hey, I just started this clothing company, (laughs)
3: like everything, like ten minutes ago.
4: (laughs) Yeah, like yeah, (laughs) yeah. P.S. It was ten minutes ago. I just started this clothing company. Like, what do you think? And they and they liked it. They're like, yeah, well, let's do one. Like, let's do the sweatshirt in one of the boxes. Can you can you get them done in a couple weeks? And I was like, uh, yeah, okay. Like scrambling to get a bunch of stuff printed and meet this deadline for this dude. But it worked and that's that's how it started. And then from there my wife was like, dude, we should make kids clothes. Like I know all these girls, you know, that have blogs and Instagram started getting you know, kinda of started going off around that time. And I can I can start sending stuff to people. If they like it, maybe they'll post about it. And so it was the same thing, it just sort of happened it was that, you know, like I was talking about before, it's just that opportunity that I saw and I, and that sort of risk of like, well, why not email these guys? Like maybe they'll be into it. Right. And they were. And so, but that's when, that's the thing is like, you have to be able to execute it. Like when you take those opportunities, you have to be able to say like, yeah, I'm okay. Someone just gave me this opportunity. Now I actually have to do it. And so luckily, you know, everything kind of fell into place enough that we were able to pull it off. And from there, it just sort of built on its own right you know through a community of people and it, it turned into this thing that never had anticipated it to be where it was like yeah it's very much centered around young moms and kids and you know young parents and matching outfits right, and right. all that stuff But who would have ever thought but it just it just was the timing it worked out
3: totally totally and i just like it too because obviously it's a uh... It's it's stripped of any, um, you know, ego. It's not like there has it has anything to do with your own personal background at all. You know, it's like I I like it when people can uh, be known in two different, you know, two different fields where it's like you can be known in the, um, you know, family blogging ecosystem without anybody have any idea. The fact it's like, oh, that dude played in a band, you know, it's like I just I love those duality uh, scenarios where people can insert themselves into two completely separate worlds, you know yeah totally um i two last things i want to hit on before i before you left was the um i'm I'm really glad that you called your your solo project your own name because i do feel that when people um did you wrestle with that idea of like should i call it my name should i call it you know like uh you know some weird tangential connection to you um or was it always like no i'm just gonna call it myself
4: yeah i mean it does yeah like the stuff that i had done in the past you know i'd which is very minimal and like low low fi zero budget kind of stuff that I was just doing in my on a laptop you know that that stuff that I just sort of put out there on a whim there was never really any thought of calling it anything else cuz I it was really just what it was you know it's like oh well I'm just doing these things I'm not trying to start a new band so I'm not going to I'm not going to try to you know create this this facade of a group when it's just me but I did consider it a little bit when I was doing this this last record just because I felt like it was a little bit a little bit of um, you know more of a big deal I guess and at least in my mind right. like I you know I want this this is my first full length record so it's kind of like starting over in my solo career or like really or at this point really trying to take it seriously or take it somewhere that I hadn't in the past so I thought about it for about, I don't know, maybe five seconds.
3: <laughs> okay. I was gonna say if you actually uh workshopped a name.
4: No, it was it was a real quick it was a real quick conversation with myself. It was just like, should I call it something else? No. Yeah, it just it I I, I don't disagree with people doing that, but you know, it's it is just me. It's right. a pretty per- <laughs> the, uh, the record's a pretty personal record. And it's you know I don't know I always think it I always think it's a little weird when people do that just because it gets kind of confusing.
3: It is, yeah. It, it, I mean, I like you said you. Um, I understand why people do that. They want to peel away, you know, the or, or maybe not even peel away, but they actually want to put a facade, like where they can, you know, maybe adapt into a character or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I think
4: you can, you know, maybe it's a little bit easier to build from like a marketing perspective to build a little bit more hype in some way that there's this new band instead of there's this new guy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not even true, but I've thought about that a little bit when I've seen some people, you know, kind of branch out and do solo projects. It's a little, the way people look at you is, and, you know, judge you good or bad is maybe a little bit skewed from how they would, if you had a band name, which is kind of a weird thing to think about, but I think it's, I do think it's true mm-hmm. somewhat. Yeah. People kind of look like, Oh, that's just like a little, you know, that dude's going solo and it's his name, you know? Right. Whereas right. like, if you, if you can create that facade of like tricking people into thinking that you're a band, it is, it's like, Oh, it's just another cool band.
3: Sure. It's like the, it's what you were referencing earlier where it's like the, uh, the <laughs> illusions of grandeur where it's just like, Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm bigger than just my name. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um and I was uh I'm actually pulling from another uh podcast that you did with a friend of mine, the uh Chris over at Modern Vinyl, um, because you mentioned something that just got me so incredibly thrilled that I, I had to bring it up where um and I think it this is very emblematic of touring bands uh because you, you just dive so far into this rabbit hole of you know george Ori coast to coast radio art bell like uh, i just anytime anybody talks about that i immediately am like um oh, like we're best friends because it's like it's such a people know about it that haven't toured but it's a very small <laughs> amount of people
4: yeah i mean you were in a band so you know exact, you knew exactly what i was talking about
3: dude for sure and it's just like the yeah the, i love the picture you painted in regards to crossing state lines having to find the other radio station that was carrying <laughs> yeah. it and just being like oh dude i have to listen to this person talking about this alien invention or whatever it's like um yeah, I just love. I love the notion of, of coast to coast and this weird like. Okay, only truckers and touring bands really like dive <laughs> yeah. super into this guy.
4: Definitely. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, I was super excited. I don't know how much you've been following that lately, but um, but yeah, I was really excited because Art Bell came back. Yeah. For like the three hundredth time, he came back. Um, sometime last year, I think last summer, but he was only on for a few months. He, I don't. Uh, did you hear any of that?
3: I, di- I didn't. I, I knew he did. I didn't hear it because like just with the uh, with the amount of podcasts that I listen to, it's really difficult for me to try to like uh, find a patch of, you know, four hours because obviously yeah. the broadcast for that long.
4: Well, yeah. Now at this point, I, I fall asleep to coast to coast. Oh, I like that's it. what I do. So I go when I go get in, the, in bed at, you know, two in the morning. That's the only way I can get to sleep. so good. It's, it's like my my bedtime story, you know, right. basically. So. I put in my earbuds, put one in one ear, and put the other ear on the pillow and just zonk out listening to George Norrie. That's amazing. That that buffer music they have in between the ads. But, (laughs) right. um, But, Art Bell came back for a while and he, it's so weird because I can't tell if it was just like his, he just wanted to get out again.
5: Uh huh.
4: But he started, he started getting these like threats, I guess, on air. Like people, like people were shooting, like there were gunshots around his house and like, whoa he was being watched and all this stuff. And it seemed very theatrical. <laughs> right, like,
3: This is kind of like war of the world sort of stuff. Yeah.
4: And then there was a point where he's just like, you know, you go, you, I went and listened one night and all of a sudden it was this woman on. And she's like, our bell's done. I'm going to continue the show in his place. He's he's feared for the safety of his family. He's getting too many threats. And I'm like, what is right. going on? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so man. he's gone now. So it's a bummer, but I'm luckily I'm, I still got coast to coast. I opened up their little, iphone app and sonk out to it every night
3: that's absolutely incredible yeah i just i there's there it, that world is just so um r- ripe with people becoming obsessed with it it's so easy and then like you know once you discover that that's when you start to you know dive even deeper down those conspiracy theory and um you know time traveling and uh oh
4: man yeah i can't even tell you how many time travel books i bought on tour
3: have you did you uh have you ever messed with the uh, was it the john t tour or whatever the um,
4: oh yeah oh, yeah i've t- been i've been down that road <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I think we could probably do a separate podcast just reviewing all of the conspiracy yeah, theories. Yeah,
4: there's some, there's some good stuff.
3: <laughs> That's spectacular. Well, I'll uh, I'll wrap it up, but thank you so much, Sam. This has been uh, this has been fun, and I, I, I think it uh, paints a very nice picture of a, a person who's uh, done a bunch of different stuff within this uh, weird independent music world. So thank you, man.
4: Yeah, thanks for having
3: me, dude. So thank you very much for checking out this episode, and thank you very much to Sam. What a great guy, right? I mean, I know I say that about... Well, basically, everybody that I bring on the show, because realistically, I, I make sure that the people who appear on this show are are good individuals, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this weird, independent music world together. And, you know, frankly, there are some bad apples in the bunch. I don't want to focus on those people. So that's why I, I feel a little redundant when I'm saying, oh, good people. So anyways, but that's just, I'll get off my soapbox. But uh, thank you very much for checking out the episode. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. And for those of you that haven't jumped on it, the Amazon affiliate code, click on that link in the show notes here, and you will be able to uh, give a little kickback to us because I appreciate that. And it makes everything, uh, my life, so much easier when I uh, actually see a little bit of money from this and I can justify to my wife, like, hey, I promise that, like, I'm paying for something of this, and it's not just me by myself quote unquote wasting my time. So do that up. I appreciate that. And uh next week I'm I'm not gonna tell you the guest. I'm sorry. I'm just uh, I'm just not gonna do that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna do that. It is Steve and I am butchering his last name, I promise I will do some practice before next week. Steve Kleiseth from Further Seems Forever, Strong Arm, Shahilud. I've been wanting to get this dude on for quite some time and he's a champion video game player. Did you know that? Well You'll find out a ton more next week, and uh, thank you very much. I will see you soon, and please be safe, everybody.
1: You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. <clears throat> the show is sponsored by BetterHelp.